For those who are visiting with us, we started uh, the gospel according to Mark last week. Not Mark's gospel, my first class in Greek when I was at Union College way back in time. Um, I was told it wasn't Mark's gospel, it's the gospel, it's Jesus' gospel. It's the gospel according to. If I'd have learned more in Greek than that, I might have been good at Greek, but that seems to be the only thing I can recall at this particular point. We start at Mark's gospel and we have seen already that it's uh, a pacey uh, gospel. Um, it's, uh, Mark has, in these first 20 verses, and we've read some of them again this morning because we're still in them, there is so much bunged into that first uh, 20 verses or so. And last week as I was getting to the end of it, to the disciples being chosen and the new beginning that it was for them, I had to hold back and say, let's just wait there until next week and take my pace a little bit off Mark's pace. And uh, so I want to come back today to try and look at the two things that happen here um, together um, in what's uh, from verse 14 to verse 20 in Mark chapter 1. Jesus comes proclaiming good news is what Mark calls it, the gospel, I guess. And um, repent and believe, uh, repent and believe the good news, indeed, in verse 15. And then, straight after it, he goes and walks beside the Sea of Galilee and calls these uh, men to come and to follow him. And I want to look at, uh, I guess, uh, what good news might be what repentance might be, and what it might have been for the first disciples to follow, and what would it be to be fishers of men. It seems um, in Mark's storyline that these uh, first disciples come out of the blue. They have never seen or heard this guy before, and suddenly he comes down beside them and he says, here, leave the fishing and come and follow me. That's the, the speed of which Mark tells us the story. If we link it with the other Gospels and the stories of the other Gospels, we find that probably that's not exactly the case. That probably, well, most definitely, they have heard about this Jesus before. Um, Andrew was out with John the Baptist when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming in the distance and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, there would have been a moment to be at. You know, if you could have got that DeLorean car, um, we were watching Back to the Future 3 just last night, well, just the tail end of it, but um, two's a bit confusing at times, but it's a great trilogy. But if you had that DeLorean car that I used to take the train past every Friday afternoon when I left Queens to head to Balamina, there they all were, sitting out there, and the future looked bright. <laughs> and, um, and we all thought by now, did we not... Um, that we'd be driving cars that the door went up rather than out. Um, we all had a vision of cars. Of, anyway, stop waffling, Stephen. Go on to um, what we're talking about. If you could take a DeLorean car and you could put your date in it and you could go back to something that happened. I know many of us are indeed Manchester City fans and there might be a few dates that we need to go well back for. Um, but some date that happened in history perhaps that you would be fascinated to be at, that would be one I would go for. John the Baptist seems my kind of guy out there in the middle of the desert bringing about transformation and change and he sees this person coming across the horizon and in the waiting for the Messiah he looks at this person coming across the desert towards him and he says, behold, look, the 
is he. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, Andrew, it seems, was there for that moment and then went home and talked to his brother about it, as you probably would that evening and uh, got his brother to come and see. And so there's these moments before this moment where Peter and Andrew certainly are aware of this Jesus and are beginning to come to some kind of terms as to who he might be. Were they there just before he came along the seafront and heard him say, repent and believe the good news? Were they beginning in their own depth of a fisherman's heart? Fishermen who actually, and I say this often for a cheap laugh, but if you follow the scriptures, never caught anything. In fact, the carpenter from up the road catches more than they do, which must have been quite annoying at times. Or was it another of those moments when they realized that there's something about this Jesus from Nazareth? Like we've been saying, actually for a few weeks even before we got to Mark, not from the center of power, but from the very edges, margins of power. Could it be that Nazareth and Galilee and the northern kingdom could be the one who would set us free in this Messiah to come. So there's a few things going on here. But at the same time, let's not deny, even if they do know more than it suggests they do in Mark's gospel at this point, that this was a pretty brave and courageous thing to do. It's funny, as I was going through it this week, I couldn't help going back to Abraham. If you were here for our carl service in the monologues that we did in our carl service we looked at abraham abraham leaving behind knowing what he was leaving behind but not being told where he was going god saying to him leave and abraham rightfully saying okay i'm up for that but where am i going nah, not telling you that yet it's a bit like the disciples here come and follow me uh, where John Bell's got a wonderful sketch that I lent to somebody. You hate that, don't you? You lend it to somebody and then you're looking for it that Sunday morning and you lent it to somebody. But who knows who we lent it to, so we can't get it back. But he has this wonderful sketch. He had a series of sketches, John Bell, they own a community. We'll sing one of his hymns a little bit later on, which is Peter and Jesus in conversation. And if I could paraphrase it just briefly here, it would be... uh, Jesus, yes, Peter, that kind of talk. And in this one, it's Jesus that starts it. He says, Peter, yes, Jesus, will you come and follow me? Well, uh, where are you going, Jesus? Oh, I'm not going to tell you that, Peter. Well, that seems a bit unfair. Why would you not tell me that? Because if I told you where we were going, Peter, you might not come. Peter? Yes, Jesus. Will you follow me? Can I take somebody with me, Jesus? No, you can't take anybody with you, Peter. Nobody? No, just you, Peter. I just want you to follow me. Well, I might need some friends along the way, Jesus, because, you know, I don't know where I'm going, so maybe they would be in the city. Peter? I'm not. Well, who's going to be there, Jesus? I'm not telling you who's coming with us. But I might not like them. Probably why I'm telling you, not telling you who's coming with us. Peter, are you going to follow me? Can I bring something with me, Jesus? No, you can't bring anything with you, Peter. Well, I mean, wh- 
whatever need something. You'll need nothing. Just follow me. Are you going to come with me, Peter? It's a question, isn't it? Are you going to come with me? Are you going to follow this Jesus? Now, you and I know a whole lot more about him than Peter and Andrew and James and John know. But the question still is, will we give up everything to follow him? This is the beginning, isn't it, of the Christian journey. Now, we have created other beginnings of Christian journeys, I think. Um, I ended with it last week. Um, It would be great if Jesus had said to Peter, Peter, put your hand up at the end of a church rally where they're asking for decisions to follow me. Just put your hand up, Peter. When you get the chance, get your hand in there. Because putting your hand up at a rally, actually, what happens after it? Or if Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I'd like you to come forward. I'm going to pray a prayer. You pray after me. Then you'll be in. Sort of a liturgical way in. Or, Peter, I want you to go to Fitzroy Presbyterian. Worship's not bad. They seem quite warm. They'll get the roof fixed eventually. And we promise you that when we get the roof fixed, it'll be a bit warmer in the church. church No, it is much warmer. It has to be said today, Peter. Um, Will you do it? That would have been an easy thing, wouldn't it? Or, Peter, stop drinking, swearing and smoking. You do that, you're all right. Wouldn't that have been great? And those are all ways that I think over years, having our clonard brothers and sisters with us today, we should almost confess, sola scriptura, I'm not really sure that it ever worked, did it? Because we've all got somebody to give us a different take on what was said in the scriptures. But if we go back to the scriptures and ask, where is the beginning of the journey of faith? Is it not right here by the Sea of Galilee? It starts with Jesus. Jesus chooses. Will you come and follow me? And then those who follow move into this journey of faith. This journey of discipleship. This journey towards who were meant to be. The first exegesis of scripture that I ever remember is I will make you fishers of men. I'm probably five years of age. I'm in Harryville Presbyterian Sunday School and I'm learning that song. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. It's this text. It came in really handy about two hours from Stranraer once, when Caitlin was very young and screaming after five hours in the car, we went back to all the choruses we learned in Sunday school and we were singing about being fishers of men again. And the exegesis that I had of that, which I don't think is completely wrong but not completely right, was that Jesus was calling the disciples to be evangelists, to go and bring in men for the kingdom and save souls. And there are some of us who will do that more than others and all of us are called to be witnesses and to be open for conversation and to reach out to our friends. But it seems to me that that perhaps 
perhaps just constrains or confines the real meaning of the fishers of men. Because as I was reading a few commentators in the last few weeks, I discovered that probably if you were part of the Jewish community, when fishers of men were mentioned, you would go back to those Old Testament texts where fishing and God using hooks might have been used. So we might find ourselves back at Jeremiah chapter 16 and verse 16. And now I will send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will catch them. After that I will send for many hunters and they will hunt them down on every mountain and hill and from the crevices of the rock. My eyes are on, my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. Jeremiah is talking about the sins, the social national sins of the children of Israel. And he's saying, I want fishermen to go and to catch them and to hook them and to change them and transform, yes, individuals, but not just individuals. This is about nations. Amos 4 and 2, the sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness, the time will surely come when you'll be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. You will each go straight out through the breaches in the wall and you will be cast out towards Harmon. The judgment of God to a people who are not bringing justice, who are oppressing the poor, and where the social oppression is so great that God's going to send fishermen to change it, metaphorically, symbolically. Ezekiel 29 and 4, speak to him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against you, Pharaoh king of Egypt this time, your great monster lying among your streams. You say the Nile belongs to me, I made it for myself. I will put hooks in your jaws and make the fish of your streams stick to your scales. I will pull you out from among your streams with all the fish sticking to your sails. Again, judgment on the national sins of the people. So as Peter and Andrew and James and John are being called here to be fishers of men, they are being called out of the world that has fallen and they're being called to be subversive kingdom bringers in every aspect of what the kingdom will be in the society that they live in. From the margins of Galilee, they will head towards the center of power and they will shake that center of power the way the birth of Jesus did before these events took place. And we will be aware that it wasn't Herod's smoking and gambling he was worried about. It was about his abuse of power at the top of our society. Repent and believe. What does that mean? If we look at that, um, we will find that other people would use repent and believe in the days of Jesus. Josephus, we've heard of Josephus. He was a historian, that we got a sort of a secular historian of the day who mentions Jesus in some of his history. But uh, he was also, it seems, uh, sent by uh, the army into Galilee in 66 AD to tell the people to repent and believe in him. It wasn't about conversion to some religious deal that Josephus was about. He was saying, don't go the way you're going. Trust me to go the way I'm going. And that had political and social agenda stamped all the way through. All these little rebel bands in Galilee who were about to try and overthrow Herod or Caesar, in comes Josephus to say, repent, believe in me, follow my way, 
to be Israel. And what Jesus was saying in his day was, believe in me. Follow my way to be Israel. N.T. Wright in the Jesus Challenge says, he was telling his hearers to give up their agendas and to trust him for his way of being Israel, his way of bringing the kingdom, his kingdom agenda. If we want to look at the good news that's mentioned here too, or gospel, we will find that Caesar and the kings had a good news. And that Mark was just using the phrase that they would have used when Caesar and the kings or emperors or whoever it was went out to tell their community and they says, we bring good news from Caesar, good news from Herod. We bring this missive to tell you how to live. Pope Benedict XVI, and I'm honestly not quoting him simply because there's a clonard group here today. I've kind of been following his Jesus of Nazareth book as I've been studying uh, Mark's gospel. But when it comes to this, I think he puts it very well. He says, in the, the, Pope Benedict says, in the vocabulary of contemporary linguistic theory, we would say that the evangelium, the gospel, is not just informative speech, which it would have been to the Caesar or the, the, the kings, not just the imparting of information, but action. This word really has thrown me. I've had it up in all kinds of ways. Uh, Pope Benedict is uh, much more uh, literary than me. Efficacious power. Efficacious power? Efficacious power? Somebody will know that that's right or wrong. That enters into the world to save and transform. What Pope Benedict's saying is that when Jesus says the good news, when he says repent and believe, When he says, follow me, this is not just an instruction from a human being. This comes with the power of God that has the possibility of transforming and saving the world. He goes on to say, the core content of the gospel is this. The kingdom of God is at hand. A milestone is set up in the flow of time. Something new takes place. And the answer to this gift is demanded of man. Conversion and faith. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee and saw these men who were getting a little bit of a picture of who he was, they were demanding from him, from them, he was demanding from them, a conversion and a faith. Is this Jesus who he said he was? If he is who he said he was, then are we going to be courageous enough to follow him? We're not going to know where we're going. We're not going to know who's coming with us. We're not going to know some of the battles that lie up ahead. But we follow anyway. Trusting that this is the moment in history when everything can be made different. I was watching the movie Australia just the other week. And there's a line in that that seems to take the emphasis of the movie. They kept saying, that's the way it is. And Nicole Kidman would say, it's the way it is, but is it how it should be? Jesus is coming and saying, this is how it is. Will you follow me into how it should be? Faith, conversion, turning around in every aspect of our lives. It's not just putting our hand up. It's not just praying a prayer. It's not just going to church. It's not just assenting to a creed. Although all those things might come part of the journey. It's more dangerous and messy than that. It's about following Jesus wherever Jesus will take us. Tonight we're going to come to the West Wing. Now I know in Fitzroy we prayerfully 
uh, choose our services because we live in quite a, a range of miles away. But can I encourage you to come tonight because it seemed to me as I was looking at the West Wing, uh, the reason, by the way, that God made moving pictures without question. Um, the West Wing um, show tonight, I think, gives us something of what was happening here at the very end of the prologue to Mark's gospel. Because in the West Wing tonight, the president has a choice to make. Is he going to stand to be president again or not? And he's told God in no uncertain terms as he has ranted and shouted at God, no, he won't. And then it seems in this two-part drama, God by the Holy Spirit appears to him and asks him, if you believe all that and don't do anything about it, then what? It's almost like being on the mountain with Elijah, isn't it? If God is God, follow him. If Jesus is who he said he was, follow him. But it's a complete and utter following. Maybe not initially, because it's a journey. But it's a step of faith and conversion. We're going to sing, I think, a song that you'll be glad to know is far, far more powerful than the words I've just spoken. I've always had the theory that nobody is going to go home humming the words of the sermon. But if we all went home singing the words of this particular hymn, I believe our lives would be changed. And that is the importance of the hymn and the prayer and the readings in our services of worship. Will you come and follow me? is the question the whole way through. And it's questions of very deep personal, will you come and follow me um, uh, if you get a, a, where is it, a hostile stare? Are you prepared to follow me if some people say, how dare you have a fellowship with a Catholic monastery up the Falls Road? Are you prepared to overcome the hostile stares that that might have meant? in order to follow Jesus the way you feel you should follow Jesus. Then we talk about our own lives. Are we prepared? Uh, in verse 4, will you love the you you hide, if I but call your name? That you that's inside you today, that you're not sure whether you really like or not. In fact, you would like to hide it from everybody else, because how would everybody else deal with it? And Jesus says, that part of you I love as well as any other part of you, and I want it to come out, and I want us to... Be honest and authentic and saved and forgiven. Will you come and follow me? That's the summons. It echoes true. And it's the summons to this table after we sing that song. It's Jesus saying to us, you know who I am. I've given my life for you. Are you going to come and follow me? You might have prayed the prayer. You might have put your hand up. You might have assented to your creed. You might come to church every week. But at this moment in your journey, are you prepared to take my invitation to be a world changer and transformer? Will you come and follow me? Let's pray. Our God, we pray for...
courage. Because for all of us, it will be a different thing that may have been triggered by the invitation to follow you today. There may be some things in our discipleship that we're doing really well, but there's just something we've hidden away. Or some of us might be struggling with our faith. Maybe the storms of life have hit and we really just don't know what to think. Some of us need to make a decision. It may be costly, but we know you're asking us to make it. Some of us need courage just to keep going the way we're going. Some of us need to turn around aspects of our life and quickly. Lord, you invite us now to come and follow you. And as we sing this song and come to your table, we pray that you would give us the courage and the power of your spirit to follow you the way Peter and Andrew did, the way James and John did. For we ask it in your name. Amen.